If you would take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, we are continuing, and next week will be the final uh, message as we've been looking at what can I do. And we come to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we, we find this great revival that takes place in Jerusalem. The wall's been built, the temple, uh, Ezra and Zerubbabel have rebuilt the temple with uh, the Lord's prodding. And we come and we see this question, when is it, when does God move? When does God move? And we as a country, we uh, as, as, as a, a citizen of this world, we're praying and begging God to move as we have seen the horrific things that have happened even in Paris just a few short uh, days ago. And we're saying, God, when are you going to move? God, when are you going to show up? Lord, when are we going to stop all? When is this evil going to stop? And God, when are you going to move? We come here to these verses and I believe that we see a we see three principles three principles from God's word about when and how God moves please stand in the honor of reading God's word we'll look uh, through several verses here in Nehemiah chapter 8 we'll begin reading in verse number one and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. Now jump down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Jump down to verse number eight. And they read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, as we speak from it, Lord, may your spirit move, impress upon hearts, bring conviction, bring correction. Father, bring peace. This day we ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. This message, as the Lord gave it to me, is really a two-hour message. And I know some of you are saying, now, wait a minute. If these people can stand for six hours, we can endure a a two-hour sermon, right? Well, well, thank you for the one person. Thank you. With that said, we do have life groups that are coming at 9.30, and the life groups are important here at Aloma Church. So the next hour, the Elevate service, will hear the two-and-a-half, three-hour sermon. So uh, you all are fortunate. Now, uh, 
with, with that said, there are three principles. We're only going to be able to dissect one of them. So for your notes and for your purposes of, of the exegesis of this passage, uh, l- let me give you the first two points, and, and we're going to hit them very quick, and then we're going to come to the third principle, and we're going to stay right there for the remainder of the time that we have this morning. So when does God move? Well, principle number one is when his people are unified. When his people are unified, if you look at verse number one, it says, and all the people gathered as one man. And we've talked about this over and over and over again at Aloma Church. One of the unique things about this body of believers is the unity that this church has. Why is it this church is growing? Why is it people are being saved? Why is it uh, that the Lord is using this church the way he is using this church? Uh, there's a lot of things, but the, the one unique thing that I believe that, that is present here at Aloma Church that is not present at many churches is the unity. Now, here at Aloma, we, we guard unity ferociously. We, we guard this unity. And, and I've heard Brother Joe share stories when he was the pastor here for almost 30 years and, and the unity that the, the church had. I, I've spoken with, with Anthony, and, and he's shared with me how this church stood together in unity. And, and there's not little squabbles here and little squabbles there, but the church stands unified, not uniformity. Uh, there's a difference between uniformity and unity, right? Uniformity is where we all have to think the same, look the same, march the same. And uh, uniformity, when I think of uniformity, I think of a lot of you veterans that we, we celebrated last week. And, and I think about how you are in your uniform and you have to march the same. Your boots have to be shined the same. Your, your beds had to be made the same. Everything had to be uniform. And, and we don't seek uniformity in the church. God doesn't bless uniformity. God has created all of us unique and all of us have, have, have desires and, and purposes and, and mandates and abilities given by God that, that can speak into the church. And, and oftentimes in church, new things are best. I know that we don't like to hear that, but oftentimes new things are best. And, and so change is, needs to occur. And, and God is a God of change, right? God changed me as an 18-year-old boy. He, he took me when I was lost in, in, in the sin of, and the muck and the filth of this world, and he changed me. God is a God of change. And so church changes and, and grows and, and morphs and, and it becomes something that he uses. We don't seek uniformity, but we seek unity. That means that, that when we all begin to march and we get the vision of God, we say, you know, I, I may prefer Tennessee orange carpet, but you know, this, this blue, this blue is going to be okay. I can worship Jesus with, with the blue just as well as I can with orange. And so we stand in unity. Uh, and, and so we see for God to move one of the elements that is necessary for God is not going to move among a body of believers that is divided. When a church is divided and Satan is the one who is the great divider, when a church is divided, you can go ahead and write the church off. God is not going to bless the church who are fighting one another. So when does God move? God moves when his people are unified. Number two, when, get, when does God move? When his name is worshiped. Verses uh, six and seven, we, we read about this. He, he says, Ezra, bless the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen. Uh, lifted up their hands, they bowed their heads. They, they worship the Lord. Worship takes place in this church. 
the thing, one of the things that I love, I, I look forward to Sunday mornings being able to gather with you, my family, and to come into the presence of God together because we worship together. And it's such an amazing thing. I, I love, I love to worship, but I also love to watch you worship. Because there's something awesome about God's people coming into God's presence. And, and when his name is worshipped, it says that they worshipped his great name. Why is it that God blesses Aloma Church? One of the reasons why God blesses this church the way he does is because we keep the main thing the main thing. We're not over here worshiping this or that or talking about this or that. It's all about the name of the Lord. Number three, the third principle. When his people are unified, when his name is worshiped, and now what we're going to talk about for the remainder of the time is when his word is proclaimed. When his word is proclaimed, these verses that we just read describe a, 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 a worship service. In fact, it coincides with the, the, the Feast of Booths, a, a, a Jewish festival. And, and what we see right here, very rarely do we get to see a glimpse in Scripture how people worshiped in the Bible. And right here, detailed right before us in Nehemiah chapter 8, is one of the most powerful chapters you will ever read when it comes to worship because it gives us an insight into how these people worship and what these people did right before God brought revival upon them. It's amazing. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. You see over and over and over again in these verses that we read and then the verses that continue on, everything centered on the word of God. Everything centered on the word of God. And unless the word of God is in us, there is no power. There is no wisdom. We're vulnerable to sin and error and temptation. So many churches today, they're trying to do the next coolest thing. And, and rarely do you ever hear the Bible read. Rarely do you ever see the preacher enter the pulpit with an open Bible. They, they, they talk about this or they talk about that. But listen, we must keep the main thing the main thing. We have to have the word of God. If you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see God move in this church, the word of God must be central. It must be. It must be. We need the word. Like steel, like forged steel in our souls, they requested the word. They asked for it. Notice what the people said. They, they, they asked for the Lord, the, the, the word to be read. Let me tell you what I've observed. Most Christians have shallow roots. Now, I'm not trying to be ugly. I, I've, I've observed, though, that there's a shallow root system among many Christians today. Now, you say, Pastor, how, how do you, why would you say that? How do you know that? How can you tell that most Christians have shallow roots? It's easy. Be around them when the wind picks up. Just be around them when the storms come across their life. I, I think of John the Baptist. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, John, what did you go out into the wilderness and see? A reed shaken by the wind? A reed shaken by the wind. A reed. That's just planted 
in the ground, no root system, a reed that is shaken by the wind. The high winds shake you. I mean, when the bottom drops out, when the doctor's report comes back positive, are you a reed shaken in the wind? Or are you strong and sure? I'm telling you that the word of God will produce within you a, a faith of steel. There's several things that we see here in this text about the word of God and how they handled the word of God and how the word became a catalyst in their own heart, in their own life, and in their community that allowed God to come in and move among them. Number one, they hungered for the word. They hungered for the word. Every Sunday, there are two types of people that attend worship. Those who can't wait to get out of here and those who can't wait to get in here. Some who can't wait until it's over and some who could hardly wait until it gets started. You know what the difference is? It's all about appetite. It's all about appetite. When, when, when a person's hungry, he can't wait to be seated at the table to be fed. But if you're not hungry, you could care less where you sit or when you're seated. If you're going to hear from God, if you're going to grow strong spiritually, if you're going to have an appetite for the word, there, there, you've got to spend time in the word. You see, God's word will do several things in your life when you hear from God. It will convict you. Revelation 1.17 talks about uh, the, the word of God that comes out of his mouth. It will convict you. It will convert you through his word. We find about, we learn about our sin problem and his salvation. Through his word, we find conversion that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It, it convicts you. It converts you. It also cleanses you. Psalm 119, 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You see, the word of God, when you get in the word of God, the more you get in the word, the more you begin to hunger for the word. They cried out, we want the word. They were spiritually low. They were physically tired. And the word of God is all they wanted. Have you ever noticed in your own life, your greatest needs are satisfied by the word of God? Your greatest needs are satisfied. Bring the book of God, they said. They requested the word of God because there was a hunger in their hearts for, for the truth of God. Understand where they had been. They had been in exile. They're, they're, they and their parents and their parents' parents had been in exile in Babylon. They have been removed from their homeland. They've not been able to hold the scriptures in their hand. Over in Babylon, all they could do is, is to, to recite what they had already memorized and what they passed down to generation. They hungered. They treasured the word of God. In these times of fasting, we've almost completed our fast. Next week will we'll be the final completion. It'll be the 50-day. If you've held, if you've had a fast, you've been fasting from food, whether you've been fasting from food a few days or, or a meal uh, every day or however you've been fasting from food, you've, I guarantee you, if you have done this consistently these weeks, you have learned a very valuable lesson. That valuable lesson is this, 
that your appetite, your, your, your stomach is filled with the word of God, satisfied with the word of God. That when the hunger pains come, when you go to the word of God, God nourishes your soul. You see, that's the reason to fast. The reason why we fast is to seek the God of heaven and to be filled with him rather than food. To be filled with God. To be filled with his word. You see, God has blessed this country with Bibles, hasn't he? I don't know about you, but I have scores of Bibles in my home and and in my office, all kinds of translations, versions, and, and all of this. I have Bibles that sit on my shelves, Bibles I preach from, Bibles I study from, Bibles everywhere. And we hear of countries like China that, that don't so desperately need the truth of the Bible and, and the word of God, and, and they can't even get one copy of God's word. It's convicting, isn't it? How often these Bibles sit on our shelves and on our table, and oh, if you know the preacher's coming to your house, you get it off the bookshelf and make sure you place it on the, the table, right? The, the, the word of God, we, we have it in such abundance here at the, in our country and, and how rarely we ever even crack it open. And there are countries in this world that are starving. Clay has told me that when he and Sue go into China and they, they bring boxes of Bibles, they're gone just like that because they're, 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 they're wanting it. There's a hunger for the word of God. When was the last time you hungered for the word? You see, God blesses when there's a return to the word of God. When people begin to hunger for the word. With all the tragedy and all the violence and the terrorism that we're seeing in the world today, and yes, we must pray for Paris. We need to be watching here at home as well and be ready. But with all of the problems that are out there in the world, I see a glimmer of hope. I am seeing rumbles that, that are showing, pointing toward revival. I'm seeing people asking spiritual questions. I'm, I'm seeing a deepening hunger for the word of God and, and revival. Listen, revival is not for the lost. Revival is for the saved. You've heard me say this. You cannot be revived unless you've first been vived. You, you can't have revival unless, you, what is revival? It means to have life, vive, from the Greek, uh, the Latin word vivo, to live. You, you can't have, you can't relive, you can't have a, a, a renewal, a renewing unless you've been nude, unless you have life. And so revival is not for the lost, revival is for the saved. People getting saved from revival is just a byproduct of revival. You can't be jump-started unless you first held a charge. And revival comes when certain ingredients are met, when there's an atmosphere of prayer, when people are on their knees praying and seeking God, when there's a deep hunger for the word, when, when God's people hunger for the word, they, they hungered for the word. They, they also heard the word. The people stood and they, they welcomed it for six solid hours. They, they stood with their families. They, they listened. Have you ever been to Israel? It's hot. They didn't have air conditioning. They stood outside by uh, the Watergate. I have so many jokes I could tell about Watergate right now, but I'm, I'm biting my tongue. 
But you see, they weren't clock watchers like some modern Christians. Can you imagine Christians today standing for six hours while the word of God is preached? (laughs) We can barely sit in our comfortable pews for 30 minutes. I've heard people say, you know, preacher, there's no such thing as a bad short sermon. (laughs) But you know, the sad thing is that so many of us are, are looking at church and looking at the sermon and, and saying, what can I get, ha, ha, when can I get out before you even get in? And I wonder sometimes how some of us are, are going to get accustomed to heaven when we're going to spend an eternity worshiping and, and praising God. If you can't last for an hour, how are you going to last for an eternity? Go to the Lord and, 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 and pray for a deepening hunger for him. You see, we can't rush in and rush out. We need to give God, we need to give the Holy Spirit time to re- respond to the word. We can't rush in and rush out and expect God to work and to move on our schedule. It doesn't work that way. We need to give God time to work in our hearts to respond, not, not when we want, not on our timetable. I'm seeing a change even in our own church. I see our students, our student body, taking notes. When you see the students and they're, they're looking at the phone, some of them are playing Candy Crush, I get that, but a lot of them are taking notes on the sermon. You know how I know that? Because a lot of them are texting me questions or, or emailing me questions or sending me Facebook questions and saying, saying, Pastor, you said this on Sunday. What did you mean by this? Or, or what about this? What about that? And it gets this preacher excited when, when the students, the young people of this church are beginning to develop a hunger for the word of God. And we have some students in here, and I want you to listen very clearly Students, I, 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 get, I get the fact that you think that all you are are dumped on and you're second-class citizens in, in the church. I, I, I understand that. But the reality is, as you go, so goes the church. It's true. Young people, listen. As you go, so goes the church. Every movement of God Every movement of God in this country that we have seen, go back and look at the history. Every movement of God from the Jesus movement of the 70s to the Second Great Awakening, every movement of God began with the younger generation. If we are going to see a revival happen in this church, in this city, in this country, in this world, it's going to begin with you. Thirdly, they honored the word. They hungered for it, they heard it, then they honored it. As we read our text earlier, we noted Ezra the priest was, was led there from early in the morning till midday. He stood before the people on a platform. I'm asked from time to time why I have people stand at the beginning of the sermon. Why do I ask people to stand in the honor of reading God's word? The reason why I ask you to stand in the honor of reading God's word, it goes right back to this verse right here, Nehemiah chapter eight. 
Because there has to be an honor of the word of God. Ezra asked the people to stand as he opened the scrolls and began to read the word. The word was read and the people stood. Now listen, we don't worship this book. We don't worship this book. There is, this is not God. But this book, we worship the God of this book, right? We don't worship this book. We worship the God of this book. This book points us to the God in whom we worship. This book points out the fact that we're sinners. This book points to the fact that we have salvation. Also, in light of this, as they honor the word, the other way we know that they honored the word, not only did they stand, but also there was a pulpit. Have you ever been? Have you ever wondered why it is in churches like Aloma that the pulpit is center in the sanctuary? Central to this room is this pulpit. Why is that? In every Baptist church that I know, the pulpit is central to the sanctuary. And the reason why that is is because even from a geographical, even from a construction standpoint, a practical standpoint, what we are saying is that when we come into the house of God, when we come into worship, Lord's Supper is important, but it's not central. Singing is important, but it's not central. Baptism is important, but it's not central. What is central to our worship is the word of God, period. And so we honor the word of God. Finally, they heeded the word. Here in Nehemiah, we read that Ezra held the word of God. They hungered, they heard, they honored, but they heeded. I want you to look at verse number nine. Nehemiah chapter eight and and verse number nine. We didn't read it earlier, so let's read it together. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. What's happening? When the word of God was open and they heard the word, they, began, they became convicted of their sin. Imagine that. When the word of God is proclaimed and the word of God is preached, the people who heard it became convicted over their sin. Someone asked me the other day, why why is it you do an invitation at the end of, of your services? The reason why is because I truly believe that the word of God shall not return void. And I believe that the word of God, when the word of God is preached, conviction will fall. And, and when, when people are convicted for their sin, we need to give an opportunity for people to respond to God. Now listen, we don't leave people in conviction. We don't leave people in conviction. Here we, we see that, that as, as we continue to read uh, verse 11, he said the, the, the Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites are telling them, don't weep, don't weep. Uh, There was conviction, there was mourning and repentance, and that's important. Crying and and remorse is a normal reaction. They're normal reactions to the word. But we don't want people to leave the service with no hope. When people are convicted, even here at Aloma Church, when people are convicted, I don't want you to walk out of this church feeling worse than you did when you walked into this church. Church is a place to have hope. The word of God, the gospel, is a positive message. It's not negative. Now, we laugh, we cut up, we joke, and and we, we get serious. My job sometimes is to step on your toes and, and for you not to curl your toes up so the preacher can't step on them. To bring conviction, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not. 
All I can do is preach and proclaim the word, and it is your responsibility to hear the word and to heed it, to, to apply it. James said, don't just hear the word, but to do the word. And when you begin to practice the word, when you begin to heed the message that, that God is, is saying, conviction will fall. It will fall. But you see, when you continue to read here, they, they, they said, listen, Yes, the conviction is important. It's limitations. There's a time to weep. There's a time to mourn. But there's also a time to rejoice. As we leave this place, Ezra said, as we leave this place, we go about our way. As you go and, and, and give, as you go and serve, and, and all of those are detailed right there in Nehemiah chapter 8. We don't have time to go there. But all of those are detailed right there in Nehemiah chapter 8. As you go and do these things, don't do it in conviction. Why is that? Because if you are under conviction, you're not going to be able to serve the Lord. So when you come under conviction, you deal with that conviction, and then you turn to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. I want to ask every head bowed and every eye closed here today. As we have been looking at this word, the word of God is vitally important to everything that we do. And here today, if you don't know Christ in a personal way,